Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, El Dorado. Together they form the world's greatest force, dedicated to truth, peace and justice for all mankind. These are the, the Superman of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 135 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to begin my coverage of season 7 of Super Friends. These are the episodes dubbed The Lost Season, as in 1983, even though Hanna-Barbera produced a third set of 7-minute shorts, 22 in total. They did not air in the U.S., but did air uninterrupted in other countries, like Australia, just to name one. And for this reason... This series was dubbed uh, The Lost Year. Hanna-Barbera and Warner Brothers created a syndication packet of earlier Super Friends series, which was co-distributed by LBS Communications, and these were picked up by several stations across the U.S. and typically broadcast on weekday afternoons. Not wishing to compete with the syndicated programming, ABC dropped the series from the 1983-84 Saturday morning television lineup, and for the second time in its run, Super Friends was canceled. The uh, first time that it was canceled was after the 1973 season, the one that featured Marvin, Wendy, and Wonder Dog way back in, like I said, 1973, and after a four-year break, the show was brought back as the all-new Super Friends Hour. Since that point, 70, in the fall of 77, 78, 79, 80, and 81, there were new Super Friends produced. There were... No Super Friends episodes produced for the fall of 1982, and I don't know why, but it was supposed to come back in 1983, and it did not, so there would be uh, two years of no uh, new Super Friends from the 1981 shorts until uh, the fall of 1984 when the, the Legendary Superpowers show aired in the fall of that year, like I said, 1984. Three of these lost episodes were aired when the Super Friends returned the following year in 1984. What did air in the USA were shows like The Manchichis, Rubik the Amazing Cube, and The Littles. At that time, the only superhero shows found on Saturday morning were all rerun shows. There was the uh, final season of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, and the animated adventures of the Incredible Hulk rerunning on NBC. CBS had the uh, Ruby Spears Plastic Man, which was later replaced by Filmation's Tarzan series. However, in the mid-90s, uh, the Super Friends returned to syndication in the form of Superman, the Superman-Batman Adventures package, and, and these lost episodes were part of that show, and for the first time, American audiences were able to see this season. And just from what I've seen so far, I've watched the first four half hours that I'll be covering this week and what I'll be covering next week, and I must say, it's kind of sad that American audiences did not get this season when it premiered in 1983, because what was produced for the 1983 season, at least, and I don't know what the uh, back half of this season has in store for us, but what I've seen so far is far superior to anything produced for 1980 or 1981. Even though the format is the same, the uh, seven-minute stories, the stories that are being told here are of a higher quality than what we have come to expect from the shorts in the previous two seasons. I mean, we're going to see things like the Legion of Doom, which is reunited in, in one episode. I will be uh, talking about that one next week. And the Wonder Twins finally got to work with other Justice Leaguers, some of the uh, more reserved crew, aside from Superman, Batman, and Robin, and Wonder Woman. And uh, like I mentioned uh, before, uh, three of these lost episodes, I'm not sure which ones off the top of my head, did return the following year as uh, during the uh, Super Friends, the legendary Superpower show. So, for this season, the cast included William Woodson, who was the narrator. And we're going to see a lot of uh, familiar names here. Superman, voiced by Danny Dark. Batman, voiced by Olin Sewell. Robin, voiced by Casey Kasem. Aquaman, voiced by William Calloway. Wonder Woman, voiced by Shannon Farnan. 
Also starring Louise Williams as Jaina. Michael Bell is Zan and Gleek. Zan and Jaina are obviously the Wonder Twins, with Gleek playing the role of their annoying space monkey. Jack Angel voices both Samurai and Hawkman when they appear. It's unknown who voices Hawkgirl. Michael Rye voices both Apache Chief and Green Lantern. Buster Jones voices Black Vulcan. Fernando Escandon voices El Dorado. Michael Bell, in addition to his uh, Wonder Twins work, also voices the Atom. And there is an episode in which Superboy is voiced by Jerry Dexter. Now, as far as the supervillains go, Frank Welker voices Mr. Mixies Pitalik, or as this show annoyingly calls him, Mixelplick. Stanley Ralph Ross voices Brainiac. Stan Jones voices Lex Luthor. Jimmy Weldon voices Solomon Grundy. Vic Perrin voices Sinestro. Ruth Foreman voices Giganta. And Stanley Ralph Ross will voice Gorilla Grodd. So that's pretty much the uh, long and short introduction of this season. Before I get to my episode coverage, I have feedback to address. This feedback is, as always, from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Mana Screen episode 124. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I thought it was interesting, given the story that would follow it, that in The Super Friends Meet Frankenstein, Robin tells Gleek that if monkeys were meant to fly, they'd have wings. It would have been funny if that line had been in Planet of Oz. Of the two stories, I liked Planet of Oz better. I like stories where the heroes are put into, into a strange world and have to figure out how to defeat the villain in order to get home. Mixius Pitalik is a good choice for this story, given the magical nature of Oz. I do wonder a bit if the Oz they're in is actually another planet, as the title suggests, or some kind of magical dimension, or just something constructed by Mixius Pitalik. It doesn't really make much difference to the story. I'm just curious, probably more curious than the writers. Incidentally, like you, I dislike hearing Mixelplik instead of Mixius Pitalik. As a kid, I practiced pronunciation carefully, as well as Kiptexism, just in case I had ever need to help Superman send him back to the fifth dimension, the magical alternate dimension, not the musical group known for its song Up, Up, and Away. As Michael Bailey often says, it all comes back to Superman. Live long and prosper, Dave. So, as always, Dave, thank you for writing in. And, of course, there's going to be some kvetching in this episode as uh, there is a Mixolus Pitalik episode. So, I'm sure at some point, maybe I'll try not to complain about the pronunciation of Mixolus Pitalik as Mixolplik, but I make no guarantees because it really is something that kind of annoys me. But yeah, there wasn't really much to say about either of these episodes. I found the Super Friends meet Frankenstein interesting enough in the sense that it's fun to watch Robin get the superpowers of all the other members of the Justice League. But Planet of Oz probably was a better story of the two. However, I have mentioned before, some of the Mixius Pitalik stuff is getting a little tiresome because it seems to be the same thing over and over again. And if they're going to keep doing uh, our favorite imp from the fifth dimension, let's do something a little bit different. But that's just that. So as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to write in, email address is manascreen at gmail.com. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to begin my coverage of Super Friends The Lost Season. Hang around, folks. Stay. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called... It all comes back to Superman. It all comes back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. 
No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. All right, let's get started, shall we? All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of September 10th, 1983, and we're going to start with Mixius Pitalik's Revenge. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Superman and Batman are transported to Mixius Pitalik's backward fifth dimension and are put on trial. Metzel Flick, you'd better not do anything you'll be sorry for. Oh, don't worry, I won't. <laughs> be sorry, that is. Order! Order in the court! Order! And I don't mean coffee and donuts. <laughs> As judge, jury, and executioner of my very own fifth dimensional universe, I hereby declare you both guilty, guilty, guilty! Of what crime? Of being super party poopers. What else? <laughs> We've got to figure a way to make him say his name backwards. I heard that. But you can just forget about it, Super Clucks, because saying my name backwards only gets rid of me when I'm in your universe. <laughs> I may not be able to send you away, but I can sure make it unpleasant being here. Let's see how you do against my bat devices. Found guilty, Superman has to do farm work near kryptonite-like vegetables, while Batman has to live upside down. Realizing that everything is backward, the heroes make Mixias Pitalik say his name normally, and they escape back to the real world. We're back, Superman. For good, I hope. That was a clever stunt you pulled on Mitzelplik. Thanks, Batman. For a moment there, I was beginning to think Mitzelplik might win. I would have if you didn't cheat, Supergoon. Next time I'll get you, but good, I will. You can't keep a good Mitzelplik down. No, sir. The super freaks can't tell me what to do. Why, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back to this Okay, so this is basically a uh, Mixias Pitalik story that has Superman in it, unlike the last one I covered, which had an absence of Superman, much to my own uh, consternation. And immediately right off the bat, the super fans are going, to, are going to learn about another universe. And they already have learned about another universe in Universe of Evil, but and a doorway will just kind of appear in the middle of the uh, Hall of Justice. And there is a familiar voice, which fools absolutely nobody. If you're paying attention to, to this episode in any uh, way, shape, form, or fashion, you do recognize that the voice belongs to Mr. Mixius Pitalik. I don't understand it, Superman. The meter indicates a strong magnetic field around the Hall of Justice but there's no indication of what could be causing it. It might be an increase in solar activity. I'll check the... Great Gotham, it's a doorway. Yes, but a doorway to where? Three guesses, super jerks! Oh no, it's Mitzelplik! <laughs> you guessed it, S-Chess! It leads to Mitzelplik! And, uh, Mixius Pitalik calls Superman S-Chess, which I guess isn't the uh, worst uh, thing that Mixius Pitalik can call him. So... The world's finest team is sucked into what Mixie calls the fifth dimension. And for those of you who are familiar with Mr. Mixie Espitalik from the comics, he is uh, an imp from the fifth dimension. So at first I thought he was bringing them all to uh, his home dimension, but it 
does not necessarily appear that way in this episode. So Mixie is acting like a judge with a gigantic mallet, and he has found them guilty with of being super party poopers because, you know, that's what Batman and Superman do. Mixie as Piddalik just wants to come and have some fun, and Batman and Robin kind of poo-poo on his good time, which I'm sure he finds very annoying. Batman and Superman find him very annoying, but, you know, that's just not something he is prepared to deal with. Superman mentions that they need to get him to say his name backwards, which works on Earth, but here in the fifth dimension, that may not be the best place since, you know, in my opinion, Mixed Piddalik is already home. Getting him to say his name backwards to send him home doesn't work if he hasn't left his house. And while they're on trial, the uh, guilty, guilty, guilty reminds me of the trial of the uh, Phantom Zone villains from Superman the movie and in the uh, prologue to Superman 2. So, Mixie uh, corrects Superman about saying his name backwards, so I'm glad to see the writers are on the ball saying that that won't work in this dimension. Mixie uh, is going to knock down Batman and Superman. He's going to uh, strut his stuff in uh, Batman's utility belt and Superman's cape. And I really like the animation of Mixie's pillow standing uh, with Superman's cape and Batman's utility belt on him. You know, just for once, uh, the imp from the fifth dimension is looking kind of triumphant here. And you're kind of wondering how they're going to uh, get out of this. So Superman is sentenced to a vegetable garden. And seeing this Superman without his cape on is kind of jarring. Because, you know, you re- the only time you I've really seen Superman without his cape for any extended period of time was in the post-crisis comics when it was uh, a trope that uh, while the costume was protected from an aura, the cape would often burn away. So, you know, in that context, I got very used to seeing Superman with his cape a lot, even though it always looked strange. And this kind of stuff, very weird to see Superman without his cape on. While he doesn't have his cape, he does have a farmer's hat and a hoe. And he is a farmer Superman. Old Mick Superman had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. Now, Superman sprays Mixie with the hose and locks the imp in what appears to be a shed, but obviously with his magic, that doesn't do much. Mixie can get himself right out of there, so I'm not sure what Superman hope to accomplish there so next uh, mix put a lick wipe whips out some kryptonite which for some reason has no effect on superman in this dimension but he, he gets taken down by some green bean and with my history with vegetables green beans would probably take me down too i am not a fan of green bean you might be i am not and let's just move on from there so uh, batman frees himself with the back with the bat box cutter which is in his boot because of course he would why wouldn't batman have a box cutter in his boot and uh, he now he runs Mixie's Piddalik into a safe, but Batman is now going to serve his sentence. His sentence is to 50 years upside down, which if Batman is truly a bat, he should be able to handle this hanging upside down type of stuff. But as we know, he is not actually a bat. But the blood and the blood rushes to Batman's brain. But of course, Batman has the answer and traps Mixie's Piddalik in a clock at least for a moment at least. So um, old Mick Superman here figures out the answer. And I'm glad to see that Superman was able to figure it out, not Batman. There's got to be a way out of this backwards universe. Backwards! That's it! Hiya, Supermo! Trying to dig your way home? Not exactly, Mitzelblick. I've come to get Batman and leave your universe. You can't! There's no way out of my universe! Oh, yeah? Who says so? Me! Mitzelblick! That's who! What? That's impossible. Uh, how did you do that? Simple, Mitzelblick. Everything's mixed up and backwards in your world. No! No, 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 no! You tricked me! I'm supposed to trick you! You, you super fooners! Apparently, Mixias Pilot didn't know about this, and you would think he would know the rules of his own dimension, but apparently he does not. And then uh, we get an ending uh, with Batman complimenting, complimenting Superman's ingenuity. If that happened now, oh my god, the riots there would be. Could you imagine seeing any circumstance in which Batman contemplated Superman on his ingenuity? Bat fans would go batshit crazy, for lack of a better term. So, 
This was probably the best mixed yes pedal episode I've seen so far in Super Friends. I mean, not only did it have Superman in it, unlike the last one, but they didn't go back to that mixed yes pedal makes a movie well, which just seems to gotten more tired every time they used it. So it was nice to see that you know they're trying some new things and spreading their wings a little bit. So now let's move on to roller coaster and our synopsis is as follows when three boys use a condemned roller coaster for part of an initiation well this is the place dennis if you're gonna be a member of our club the dragons it all starts here you mean i gotta ride that that's right they call it the dragon it's the meanest roller coaster in the country until they condemned it i heard there were too many accidents Hey, listen, if you're scared, I understand. We can always go bowling. Yeah, you can be a member of the Pin Boys Club instead of the Dragons. Who, me? Scared? No way. Come on, let's go give Denny his initiation ride. The Wonder Twins come to the rescue. They try to slow down the dangerous ride, but one of the cars breaks off, leaving one boy still in danger. The Atom shuts off the power just before the car nears the edge of the deepest part of the ride. In the end, the boys learn that club members should be judged by character, not by pulling terrifying stunts. We're really sorry we've caused so much trouble, Adam. Thanks, Dennis, but it was my fault for talking you into it in the first place. You should know better than to go into a condemned area. Yeah, you guys better be a little more responsible next time. There might not be any super friends around to save your skin. I guess it was sort of stupid. It sure was. I think there are better qualities to judge your club members by than the willingness to pull stupid pranks. Yeah, like honesty, self-respect, cheerfulness. Right. Do that, and you'll wind up with a bunch of real super friends. So here is a Wonder Twins episode that is pretty much aimed to uh, not only have some superhero adventure, but it's aimed to have the Wonder Twins teach the young kids something that about safety. This one is a little bit more about peer pressure and doing what you need to do to or you know not doing what your friends want you to do just to you know get in with them and curry favor so we start at an abandoned amusement park and apparently this this is some kind of gang initiation is to make dennis ride a condemned roller coaster and of course to uh, prove that he's not scared and to get in the gang he rides it now the show calls the dragons a club but come on it's a gang they have special jackets and everything. This is some kind of street gang of teenage hooligans. You know, obviously, the parents' council has still got its finger on this, like uh, every other kid's cartoon. This is why kids' cartoons from the 80s are... I don't want to say they're terrible, because I enjoyed a lot of cartoons from the 80s, but, you know, some of the cartoons I watched, looking back on them now, Thundercats and He-Man really stand out. But they are silly, villains are incompetent, and it's all because, you know, the parents' groups really clamped down on content of kids cartoons that is not so much the case now but it was the case then so not being able to call the dragons a gang probably came from that but don't make no mistake they're not a club they're a gang so here are the super friends and zan likes someone in the movie with pointed ears so i am wondering if they saw a star trek film this episode was produced and came out somewhere between the uh, release of star trek 2 the wrath of khan and star trek 3 uh, the search for spock the uh, Wrath of Khan had plenty of uh, Spock action, including the uh, character's death in late in the climax of the film. So maybe he's t- maybe he's talking about that. I don't know. So here are the twins seeing the roller coaster, and Jaina becomes an eagle, and thankfully Gleek brought his bucket to the movies because otherwise Zan turning into water would have nowhere to go. So when the one the twins show up to warn them off the roller coaster, Dennis gets scared, and the gang members basically say, "We don't need to listen to them because we're big tough teenagers and we know what we're doing." So the twins try to shut off the roller coaster, which probably won't do any good because once the chain 
pulls the roller coaster car to the top, the rest is done by gravity and momentum, I believe. And if they were to shut it off, the braking mechanism to bring the car into the station probably won't work. That's just what I've got from my own uh, rudimentary knowledge of roller coasters, you know, from all the ones I've ridden. You know, the ones that don't, you know, fire you out of the station at an immediately fast pace. You know, the coaster, you go up to the top and pulled by a chain and then it lets you go and inertia and gravity do the rest. But of course, this coaster is condemned, so pulling the lever may not work at all. But we're not going to find out as the control breaks in Zan's hand and nothing is being shut off. So, of course, the uh, roller coaster is falling apart and Gleek is sent to get the Atom. So, Zan becomes an ice car and Jaina is going to be a walrus because those are two things you'd expect to need to rescue a roller coaster. So, Jaina will basically tusk the back of the car with the two dragons in it, but Dennis's car uncouples and is off on his own. So, while the dragons are saved, Dennis is still in serious trouble. And the Adam is on duty tonight at the Hall of Justice. And Adam doesn't understand the word Gleek says, but follows him anyway because all of his uh, gyrations and whatnot made everything look pretty urgent. And, of course, it is. So, the dragons are remorseful and didn't mean for things to go horribly wrong, which... This is not the best time to be remorseful about it because Dennis is still in grave danger. So the Atom shrinks and enters the power box and uh, Dennis is quickly running out of track and the Atom shuts the power, stopping the car from going down an incline. And I don't believe that's how roller coasters work. I'm not an engineer, but I've ridden enough to know that there's a chain that pulls you up for the ones that do have a chain that pulls you up. And there's no braking mechanism until the end to push the car into the station. With no braking mechanism there, there's nothing to stop the car. And Dennis would have kept going no matter what the Atom did. But this episode is not going by any logic of roller coasters, so I'm going to stop ranting about it. As this episode ends with the Wonder Twins giving the dragons a lecture about being irresponsible. And so the and the Atom tells them not to do stupid initiations to get into clubs, or in this case, gangs. Which, Adam doesn't say gangs, I am. And I mentioned before, this episode is obviously about peer pressure and not succumbing to it. Good message for kids. If you need to do these kinds of things to get in with your friends, they're not the people you want to be associated with. So if there are any kids listen, listening to this, there that is. And above all, if a roller coaster is condemned, it's probably for a good reason. Don't go on it. That should be a no-brainer. So now let's move on to... Once upon a poltergeist, and our synopsis is as follows. When the Wayne building in Gotham City suffers a severe shakeup, Batman, Robin, and Apache Chief learn that the spirit of an Iroquois Indian is haunting the building. That mysterious presence, I feel it again. You trespass on land of Onwanonshione, and you will regret it. I was right. There was an evil presence. That was the spirit of a Mohawk Indian. This building must have been built on his ancient burial ground. He will not rest until his sacred land lies undisturbed. The spirit believes that the building was built on top of a burial ground, but Apache Chief learns that the actual location of the burial ground is outside of Gotham City. It's you! You shall pay for tricking me! I have not tricked you. I have brought you back to the land that is truly yours. Oh, you tell the truth. I recognize this place. I have made a grave mistake, my friend. I hope you can forgive me. What's done is done. I only hope you will be peaceful. I shall, brave one. I shall. Okay, for starters, the Native American ghost in this episode has a very long Iroquois name that I do not know how to pronounce, even though I've heard them say it. If I were to write it phonetically, I'm sure I would pronounce it wrong. So I'm just probably going to spend most of this episode calling him the ghost, because... That name 
my tongue will trip over that name. At this point, I don't even remember it. I just know that it's long. So, we're going to have a ghost story in Gotham City, and the Wayne Building is shaking, and Robin says it's... The Wayne Building's shaking like a nervous poodle. I don't know that I've ever seen a poodle shake, nervous or otherwise. I've known, you know, a poodle here and there. They're not exactly my favorite type of dog. I tend to like, you know, mid-sized dogs. Uh, I've had huskies all my life with my parents, and uh, I've had good experiences with Labrador. But I'm not much of a pet person, you know. I like other people's pets, but, you know, dogs and cats just... In some cases, they're more maintenance than I want to deal with. You know, if it's your thing, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be to each their own. I'm not really a pet person. Not because I don't like them, just because I just don't feel like dealing with all the stuff you have to deal with when you have pets. I already have two kids. So I, I don't need a pet on top of that. But anyway, as far as the uh, the poodles shaking, I have never seen a poodle shake. I've seen chihuahuas shake because of their small bodies and lack of fur, and they're basically uh, not equipped to uh, deal with the cold of the Northeast. Up here in uh, New York, they just shake like a leaf because they're really built for you know the heat of Mexico. But again... Never seen a, a poodle shake. I've seen chihuahuas shake, though. But it's not an earthquake, as the Justice League seismograph doesn't show anything. So Batman, Robin, and Apache Chief go to check it out. So here comes the Batcopter, and they drop Apache Chief like a bomb, and he grows and catches the helicopter in the palm of his hand. And now the boss and his secretary fall off the building, but are saved by the Bat air cushion. Where can I get one of those? I'm not saying I plan to fall off any buildings anytime soon, but having a Bat air cushion would probably be pretty awesome. So Robin speculates the wind, but Batman tells his dumb sidekick that there's no wind today, so that's not doing anything to the Wayne Tower. Apache Chief suggests something otherworldly because that's the Apache Chief's shtick. And now the power goes out in the building, stranding some people in an elevator. And then the cables go, and down goes the elevator. Five years before Aerosmith's love in an elevator. So Batman is trying to stop the elevator because he knows it's falling, and uh, Batman and Robin use some jack-like things to catch the car. Batman staked his reputation, and that's not all he staked because he is underneath the elevator car. He was so certain that these things were going to stop the elevator that he was confident enough to stand underneath it. If that thing didn't work, he would have turned Batman into Bat Pizza. But fortunately for the Cape Crusader, it worked. So Apache Chief feels a presence, and a disembodied ghost head shows up and tells them they are trespassing. So Apache Chief makes the leap that this is a Native American ghost, and he states that this building must have been built on an ancient burial ground. Now. I'm sure the Wayne building is not the first thing to be built on this spot of land. So why is this dead Native American coming out now? Yeah, I don't have any answers. I don't have any answer to that question either. And neither does Batman and Robin, who are pinned down by the ghost. And Apache Chief tries and fails to talk to it one Native American to another. So Batman summons the back computer to do some research on the Iroquois uh, Confederacy. The computer shows no burial ground, but an ancient Mohawk battle site. Mohawks are one of the uh, tribes of the Iroquois Confederacy. I believe the tribes of the... God, I should know this too, being from the region. The Mohawks, the Onondagas, the Senecas, the Algonquins, and one other that's escaping me at the moment. But there were five main tribes in the Iroquois Confederacy, but I'm, the last one is escaping me at the moment, and I'm too lazy to look it up. But Apache Chief has realized that the ghost is stuck in a different dimension, and they need to get him to his proper burial ground so he can, so he can rest. You know, a lot of these ghost stories are about giving the spirit some peace and allowing it to rest. So somehow Apache Chief finds the burial ground and the ghost misinterprets the smoke signals as a signal from his warriors. So after yelling at Apache Chief for a minute, the ghost figures out he's home and disappears and now he's at peace. You know, this is a standard episode about a ghost that needs to rest in peace. Nothing we haven't seen a million times. And that's pretty much that, you know. Wasn't a bad episode, but not one I'm going to remember a great deal about later. So at this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. 
then I'm going to come back and uh, with week two of Super Friends The Lost Season. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on a mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, make ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. All of our synopses in this segment, original broadcast date of September 17th, 1983. And we're going to start with Warpland. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Batman and Superman spot a meteor that threatens Metropolis. When they fly to stop it, they find they are drawn through a warp in space into an alternate universe, where heroes are animals. You don't understand. We have no intention of harming anyone. He's telling the truth. We came into this universe by accident, and if we don't get back within a few minutes, thousands of our own kind may be destroyed. Your primitive human minds make up incredible tales. But in a few moments, you will be super animals like us. These bars must be of a kryptonite alloy. I can't break free. Wait, Scott, I'm changing into an eagle. And I'm turning into a real bat. Yes. And in a very short time, your minds will change to match your exteriors, and you will be Super Zoons. We've got to figure a way to escape, Batman. There may be a way, Superman. My Bat Rocket remote control is our only hope. Using the Bat Rocket to escape, Superman and Batman manage to re-enter the warp at near the speed of light and return to their universe, where their bodies return to normal and they can stop the meteor. We did it, Superman! And we're transforming back to normal. Being in our own universe must have destabilized the molecular chain. Too bad, Superman. As an eagle, you would have looked good. Cute, Batman. Let's see if you're as fast as you are funny. Okay. While we started this with a good episode of our world's finest team, this one is not so good. Here comes a meteor about to cause some trouble, and of course it's going to hit Metropolis and put the entire city at risk. And by the way, there's a coloring error here that has superman's cape red and yellow like on his chest instead of the all yellow that we're normally accustomed to seeing on the cape and there's also some kind of flowery looking space warp that shows up and it's and it's threatening batman and superman and somehow superman knows just from looking at it that it's going to suck them into another universe i don't know maybe the design of the black hole told them it was taking them to another universe i don't know so here are some animal superheroes in this dimension All of our superheroes are animals. And, of course, Batman is is intercepted by a flying space octopus. And Superman is now fighting the octopus and a frog, who 
repels his heat vision, and now the frog is choking out Superman. So Batman stunned himself by missing uh, the super frog with some kind of stun ray, and the ray bounces off Superman and hits Batman. So right now, these animals are making fools out of the normal super friends. So when they're captured, Superman tries to make his case to the super animals, and they are pleading with these creatures that Superman and Batman need mean them no harm, but instead, Batman and Superman get turned into a bat. Well, appropriate that Batman is turned into a bat, and Superman gets turned into an e. So now they are super animals. But the super animals don't explain what's going on, but Batman and Superman escape with the help of the bat remote control and the spaceship now superman and batman find the warp and fly through it so now they're going to destroy the meteor with heat vision and the bat laser blast after that works superman and batman just change back into themselves very handy just being home was enough to uh, change them back into themselves makes me wonder what the point of going into the alternate universe was you know that's the problem with seven minute episodes you can't do much in a 22 minute episode there could have been hilarity with uh, Superman and Batman, you know, around being around the super animals and, you know, ad- either adjusting or getting into trouble. But in seven minutes, the all you have time to do is get stuck into the other universe and then basically, you know, have a two minute adventure with the super animals. So it's not even really an adventure. It's explaining and failing and then just escaping and leaving. These stories need to breathe and there's just there's no time for that. And the stories suffer because of that. I mean, think of how much more fun Superman and Batman as animals would have been if they were actually able to be animals for a few minutes. Just just a frustration of the storytelling form that they're employing. It just, it just hurts the concept. And you can really have some fun with these things if you have more than seven minutes to work with. Without that, it's just, you know, you kind of have to tell, get in, do your thing, and get out. Not enough room for antics. At least until we get to the next episode. Which is, two Gleeks are deadlier than one. Yeah, <laughs> they are. <laughs> and our synopsis is as follows. Giganta lures Gleek away to where Grodd can create an android double. Well done, Giganta. With that inferior simian behind bars, we can proceed with our plans. That android duplicate of Gleek was a brilliant idea, Grodd. Of course it was brilliant. As the smartest gorilla in the world, I... I am incapable of anything else. <laughs> now for a short test. Perfect. He should have no trouble carrying out our plan. Yes. When the super friends meet at the Hall of Justice tomorrow, it will be for their funeral. <laughs> They use a double to attack the Collected Justice League at a rare joint meeting. The Wonder Twins learn from Wonder Woman that the Android Gleek has attacked Android Doubles, and the meeting was a trap to catch members of the Legion of Doom. Crumbling craters! We thought you guys were disintegrated! That's just what you were supposed to think, Zan. The whole thing was a trap from the start. We knew if we announced a meeting of all the Super Friends, someone would be foolish enough to try something. The Super Friends that Android Gleek zapped were androids just like him. Ah, uh, you guys never fooled me for a minute. I was onto the whole plan all along. <laughs> oh no, he's back! Look out for those killer eyes! Uh, yep, they're killers, all right. <laughs> all right, this episode kind of annoyed me. Not because it was a bad episode, but because I just hate the trope of that even though it seems like the, all the Super Friends were defeated, that, that oh, yep, this was the plan all along. We tricked them, we tricked them back, you know. 
you know, it seems like the villains are doing really well, trapping all the all the superheroes, and then we just find out at the end, nope, it was all just a, a big ruse. None of us were really captured. We just outthought you. You know, it's fine having the heroes outthink the villains, but just say, no, nah, we staged the whole thing to set a trap, and you fell into it, and boom, the episode is over. You know, again, what can you do in seven minutes? You can't do much. You could do a lot more in 22 minutes than you can in seven. Let's just say that. We hear all the Wonder Twins and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, and the twins are being left in charge for the night. That's just a disaster. And I mentioned in the opening segment about the twins working with other Justice Leaguers, so I'm pretty sure this is the first time the Wonder Twins are working with Green Lantern. And of course, it's going to immediately become a disaster. And we're getting some DC villains here as uh, Giganta, who is a Wonder Woman villain, and Grada Flash villain. At least I believe Giganta is a Wonder Woman villain. I don't know. I think, I think that's where she started, at least. Well, either way, Giganta and Grodd are coming out to play. Gleek gets captured by Giganta when an odor lures him to a stack of bananas. So, there you go. Grodd, nice and egotistical, uh, creates a robotic Gleek to infiltrate the Super Friends. And when I say Grodd is egotistical, it's because Giganta points out to Grodd that his android monkey works. And basically, Grodd pulls the Lex Luthor line saying, Of course it works. I invented it. So there's that. But I do wonder if anybody will notice the glowing monkey eyes on Gleek and the heat vision, but no one does at least at first. So here comes everyone to tomorrow's Super Friends meeting. You just kind of watch all of the Super Friends show up at the Hall of Justice, and uh, here's Gleek on the flagpole, who's acting bitter because the twins couldn't find them. So Gleek wraps Zan and Jaina in a flagpole, and somehow she knows Gleek is an android from across the roof. Obviously, the fake Gleek is an imposter, but how could she tell it's an android? Does the fake Gleek have android written across its forehead? I don't know. So, here are all the super friends in one place, at least that's what we're meant to believe. Wonder Woman is citing the danger of them all being in one place, and I was wondering what kind of danger, but I guess this kind, that the fake leak captures everyone. Again, as we're meant to believe, but, you know, to me, like, no, just no. So, Zan and Jaina turn into a pelican and a water spout, while the fake leak is wiping out everybody. I always knew Gleek would be the end of the super friends, so Grodd is pleased with himself, and rightly so. As he mentions, he has done what the, what the Legion of Doom uh, has failed to do. And that is the first mention of the Legion of Doom since the Challenge of the Super Friends, Season 3. For reference, this is now Season 7. So, then all of a sudden, Grodd finds Wonder Woman hanging out in the arsenal, and she wraps up Grodd with her lasso because that's what Wonder Woman does. She uh, did very well at the rodeo events at the uh, Themyscira College. And now Green Lantern is free, and <laughs> at this point, watching this, I needed a minute to catch up. Because, and I did go back and look to make sure that we did see... Wonder Woman and Green Lantern vanish, I, and here all of a sudden they're fine. I was just for a minute curious that maybe the show gave us a clue that Wonder Woman and Green Lantern were okay by showing them not vanish, but nope, the cartoon clearly did show them vanish. So Wonder Woman reflects the Android League's power, and Green Lantern has his ring, even though we saw it vanish along with him. So the twins now become a panda and an ice golf club, because when do you not need a panda and a and a nice golf club, and they uh, send Android Gleek into a trash can. So, this is where we learned that it was all a ruse by the Super Friends as they faked a meeting to draw out Grodd and Giganta. Okay, I guess you just kind of have to go with it. And uh, Gleek vaporized the his Android counterpart, and the episode ends with Zan hiding from the real Gleek. I would hide too. You know, like I said before, I just I get annoyed by episodes like this, where it looks like the Super Friends are defeated, and they pull the, the old switcheroo, and nope, it was a ruse all along. And I'd much rather see them have to overcome than to be that far ahead of the game, but this was still entertaining to watch. I'm just not a fan of that storytelling technique. That's all. Let's wrap this up with Bulgor the Behemoth. And our synopsis is as follows. When a cartoon scriptwriter is struck by lightning in the middle of, a, of typing a story, he transforms into the very monster he was creating, Bulgor the Behemoth, Superman and Apache Chief, 
Have a hard time stopping the creature? It's no use, Superman. Nothing we do affects the creature. Don't give up yet, Apache Chief. We've still got one slim chance. According to that Bulgur script, there was one thing that could stop him. The colored light from a prism. It's worth a try. But Apache Chief reasons with Bulgur and convinces the character that he was only... Only a normal man with an imagination gone wild. You there, listen to me. Bulgar not listen. Bulgar crash. You are not Bulgar. You only think you are. Me, Bulgar. No, you are a writer. You were creating an image in your mind before the lightning struck. Remember that image. Bulgar see monster. Monster with pearl skin. Me, me, not monster. I, I created monster. All, all in my mind. Thank you, super friends. I couldn't control myself. That lightning must have made pictures in my mind run wild. I suggest you take a good vacation. The super friends have enough danger to handle without your imagination creating any more. So. We are at an animation studio, and here is the writer on deadline. Yeah, I know that feeling. Writing and writing and writing and trying to get your material out in a short time. You know, when I was working sports late at night and we had to get our stories turned around quickly, our motto was, it doesn't have to be Shakespeare. It just has to be done. And this writer is finished when the radio tower gets struck by lightning, and it changes him into Bulgur. Bulg- and this can't be good for the ending to his story. Once he uh, transforms into this big uh, old Bulgur-like creature, basically a big ogre, he, the author smashes the typewriter and breaks through the wall, and he's now an ogre about town, and Bulgore is basically walking around smashing. He's basically the Incredible Hulk, at least uh, early Hulk, which had some of his mental faculties, just angry and wanted to break everything. So apparently Bulgore is familiar to Apache Chief, but not Superman, and and they both go after the monster. Superman shows up, shakes hands to Bulgore, and throws him into a building. Apache Chief grows until he towers over Bulgore, who is about to have an involuntary bowel movement, and now they're throwing buildings at each other, and the Apache Chief, even at his height, is stuck below a tenement until Superman moves it. Yeah, Superman just picks up the tenement and moves it so Apache Chief can get up. So Bulgore has left quite a trail of destruction, as evidenced by the upside-down twisted cars lying around. And now Superman gets to show off his fine deductive skills by standing in front of a hole in an animation studio building, a hole roughly the size of Bulgore, and says, I think he came from inside this building. Really? You think? That's Batman-level detective work right there. Thank God we have Superman here to tell us these things. Superman does the same thing at the desk, deducing that whatever created Bulgore happened right there. I mean, now he's just showing off. However, I can see the hole in the building giving Superman the clue that he came from in there, but there is nothing in this broken desk to suggest anything happened other than Bulgore hitting the desk. But apparently Apache Chief is a fan of Saturday morning cartoons because he recognized Bulgore the Behemoth as being from a cartoon. Great gray eagles, now I understand why the creature's name was so familiar to me. Bulgore the Behemoth is a television character. Whoever was writing this script must have been struck by the storm's lightning, then somehow mysteriously transformed into the very creature he was creating. According to this story, Bulgore fled to the desert where he wiped out an army base. That must be where he was going when he left me. He's unconsciously acting out his own story. We've got to stop him before it's too late. And according to a script left on the desk, the Superman reads, all of a sudden, he knows Bulgore is the author because of reason. Like, there being three and a half minutes left in this story and we need to wrap it up. 
So now he's going to go to the desert and attack a military base. My God, Stan Lee should have asked for royalties because this is basically an early 1960s Incredible Hulk story. Basically think uh, Incredible Hulk 1 through 6 before the series was canceled. That's all the Hulk did. Hang out in the Southwest Desert and harass the military. Most notably Thunderbolt Ross, who does not have a counterpart in this episode, so to speak. I kept waiting for one, but one never showed up. So Bulgar has reached the base and throws a car through a fence, and he's looking for soldiers, and Superman is already there, and he wraps up Bulgar in some tank treads. At least for a minute, as Bulgar does the same as Superman. Here comes the Apache chief, and he nets Bulgar. And here's an image I'm not going to soon forget, as Superman is standing on Apache Chief's shoulder, almost like the Atom would on one of the normal-sized superheroes. So Superman makes a prism and then shoots his heat vision into it and creates a rainbow, and all that does is make Bulgore angry. Apache Chief is not surprised Superman's prism didn't work, as Bulgore is a fictional person and the host is an author. So now... Apache Chief reminds Bulgar that he is a human author, he changes back and is now in his underwear, and everyone's happy, everything is fixed, except the, that the author has no pants. Again, not a bad episode, even though it was terribly derivative of an early Incredible Hulk comic. I mean, it's Superman and Apache Chief fighting a monster, I mean, you don't need more than that, do you? Just fighting a mindless brute, and turning him back into the person that he used to be. Just like at the end of a Hulk story, when the Hulk would... The, become bannery so that's all for this week next time i'll be back with weeks three and four of the lost year until then feedback's always welcome manascreen at gmail.com if you want to join the conversation over the facebook group just put manascreen podcast in the search feed and the show should come up you can also find the show on twitter at manascreencast until next time folks we're all on the same team good night The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.